Welcome to Salem Alliance Church. For more information about this podcast and other resources, please visit us at salemalliance.org. We're starting our series called The Return. This week's message is by Steve Fowler. Hey, we're starting a new series for the month of June called The Return. Before I get going too uh, fast on that, I want to invite ushers to come at this time as we continue worshiping and do that by giving uh, back to God our tithes and our offerings. So ushers, thanks for serving us in that way. If you are a guest with us this weekend and a plate comes down your row, you may be thinking to yourself, oh man, I got to put something in this plate. Relax, let that plate pass by guilt-free. Um, there's no expectation on our part that you should participate in this part of the service. Actually, we've been praying that this is a service that blesses you, and it, really, you receive it as a gift from God to you uh, today as you're gathered with us. So uh, just let that plate pass on by. There is a folder on the far right-hand side of each row, a little sh- uh, small folder. If you're sitting closest to that right-hand side, if you could grab that and fill it out and pass it down the row, uh, that'd be a gift to us. Um, it's one of the ways we stay connected around here as a guest, as you trust us with that information, which we promise not to misuse. Uh, it allows us just to say thanks for worshiping with us this weekend here at St. Alliance. So uh, thanks for uh, giving us that gift. Uh, in my sophomore year, uh, high school, there was some chatter on our campus, and it had to do with a cosmological occurrence that was about to take place in a couple of years. Uh, The chatter was about this planetary alignment that was going to take place in 1982. And the chatter was was getting sensationalized a little bit uh, as uh, students were talking about the fact that these planets, uh, the eight planets, uh, nine if you're still in denial about Pluto, uh, the eight planets were going to line up and uh, the the, the combined gravitational pull of all those planets in alignment was going to do all kinds of crazy stuff. It was going to cause all kinds of strange physical phenomena on planet Earth. It would affect tides. Uh, storms, unusually large storms would be prompted, uh, be earthquakes, there'd be floods. Um, and, and then the, the, the students on campus um, came to this conclusion that because the planets were aligned, because it was going to cause all this, this physical phenomena, because ecosystems were going to be out of balance, uh, kind of like a washing machine, a spin cycle, you know, uh, the ecosystems of the world were going to whirl out of control. This could only mean one thing. Jesus is coming back in 1982. Now, I'll be honest with you. I was not happy about that. Uh, because I, I wanted to live life a little bit, and I, I wanted to graduate from high school. I wanted to experience my senior year. I wanted to enjoy the stuff that, that seniors get to enjoy. I, I wanted to graduate from high school. I wanted to go to college. I wanted to get married. I wanted to have kids. And so I was, I was not excited about the return of Jesus Christ. Now, just, just so you know, you know I, I did graduate from high school, had a great senior year. I did go to college. I did get married. I have kids. Now I have grandkids. And shortly after the birth of uh, Trina's and Maya, our fourth child, then I became very interested in the return of Jesus Christ. <laughs> I was like... I was praying, Revelation chapter 22, verse 17. Uh, Even so, come quickly, Lord Jesus. I'm ready. This is overwhelming. Uh, But, you know, back in high school, I was not interested. Now, you know, in 1982, Jesus did not come back. Um, And that's just one little blip on the screen of a bunch of times that people were certain that Jesus was returning. 
Richard, Richard Kyle wrote a book called The Last Days Are Here Again, kind of an interesting little title. And he just sort of, uh, he sort of captures the thinking of the day on the return of Christ. Here's a quote from his book of, of, of someone. It says, the last days are upon us. Weigh carefully the times. Look for him who is above all time, eternal and invisible. It sounds like something that you read in a book, you know, a prophecy book or something you'd, you'd listen to on, you know, TBN, Trinity Broadcast Network or uh, Christian radio. But the reality is this was actually spoken by a guy named Ignatius in 110 AD, uh, convinced that, man, this has got to be the last days. Uh, 375 AD, a Christian leader by the name of Martin uh, says this, there is no doubt that the Antichrist has already been born. Firmly established in his early years, he will, after reaching maturity, achieve supreme power. 375 AD. Um, Remember Y2K? There's actually a Y1K. Uh, in, in the year 999, Christians in that year were convinced because the calendar was flipping. It was going to be, you know, 1000 AD. Um, uh, they were convinced that Jesus was coming in the year 1000. And so uh, what many did is they did not plant their crops in the year 999. They didn't attend to their barns, their homes, they didn't do any repairs and the year 1000 came, and Jesus didn't come, and it took him actually 30 years to recover economically um, from not planting those crops. It caused quite a bit of disruption in their lives. In, uh, I think, 1848, a, uh, a, well, actually, no, Martin Luther's a name you know, 1530 AD, Luther, a brilliant mind, said this, we have reached the time of the white horse of the apocalypse, the world will not last any longer than another 100 years. Uh, as he saw the setting in which he lived, it, this, this just made sense. We weren't going to be around here much longer. Uh, a Roman Catholic priest writes a book in 1848. Um, it, uh, it's all about the return of Christ. And in his book, he's saying that Christ is going to come back in 1849. Uh, the Catholic Church is so impressed by the book um, that they decide to publish it. The problem is they published it in 1850. Uh, it wasn't really relevant uh, then. Great book. Uh, there's been whole church movements that have, have picked dates, uh, Jehovah Witnesses. Uh, I, think, I think 1848 was their first choice when Jesus was going to come back. And then 1940, 1950, 1975, and uh, Kyle in his book says, you know, probably they'll get it right, but just by sheer dumb luck. Just keep guessing one after another. Any of you remember the book by Hal Lindsey called Late Great Planet Earth? Uh, some of you have no idea on that book. That's okay. Uh, it's interesting read. Um, Lindsay comes to this conclusion. Israel becomes a nation in 1948. And then from his biblical study, he comes to the conclusion that, that Christ will return within one generation after uh, Israel becomes a, a nation. I, I remember hearing this quite a bit when I was a kid. Um, and again, I wasn't really excited about that because 88 was a little earlier than I was ready for Jesus to come back. Um, so he, he made this, this, this decision that, that Christ would come back before 1988, and Jesus didn't come back. And then there was a book written, 88 Reasons Why Jesus Was Coming Back in 1988. Uh, one, one of the results, by the way, it was number two bestseller on the uh, Christian book list, which tells you a little bit about our gullibility. Um, and then the date was set in 1988 that, that Jesus would come back somewhere between September 11th and September 13th. 
And there were Christians who sold their homes, sold their cars so they could have money and that they could spend it and enjoy it because Jesus was coming back in a week and they wouldn't need it. Some even put down their pets uh, thinking that Jesus was coming back and they were going to be, you know, be, be taken, uh, taken out of this world. Uh, and then, you know, there's date setting that continues to happen. Remember Harold Camping in 2011? He says, May 21st, 2011, Jesus is coming back. There's billboards. There's, even in Salem, there was billboards and people standing on corners saying it, it's happening. And then May 21st comes and Jesus doesn't return. And um, so Camping redoes his math. And now it's October 21st. And October 21st, Jesus doesn't come back. And then shortly after that, Harold Camping dies and he returns to Jesus, not vice versa. Uh, uh, and and so there, there's just been all throughout history, uh, you know, th- th- he's coming and it's soon and here's the date and you know, here's the books and all that stuff. And I just want to tell you up front, there's no date setting in this, in this uh, series. We're not, we're not buying billboard space. Uh, we're talking about the, the return. And what you need to know from Matthew chapter 24, verse 36 is this. No one knows the day or hour when these things will happen. Not even the angels in heaven or the Son himself. Only the Father knows. You need to know that there is a 100% failure rate when it comes to picking the day and the hour that Jesus Christ is going to return. It just, it, it, there's, just, there's 100% failure rate on this, which actually what happens is, yes, we, we don't know when he's going to return, but the unintended consequence of a verse like this that really goes into conflict with Scripture is, well, because no one can know the day or the hour, there's no sense even talking about the return of Christ. There's no sense even trying to figure it out because no one knows. In fact, doesn't it seem also, combined with that, doesn't it seem also that the only people who talk about the return of Christ have fallen out of the crazy tree and hit every branch on the way down to the ground? So because... Nobody can know the day or the hour, and because everybody who talks about the return of Christ is cuckoo for Cocoa Puffs, let's just be silent on that. Yet, when you go to the scriptures, what you hear is anything but silence when it comes to the return of Jesus Christ. The message of the return of Jesus Christ in the New Testament is not a peripheral message. It's actually a upfront and center message. Jesus talked a lot about his second coming, his second advent, his return. Uh, just one little sample from it. John 14, verse 3. Jesus says, when everything is ready, I will come and get you so that you will always be with me where I am. And in this series, what we're going to be doing is we're going to look at the words of Jesus found in the book of Matthew, specifically Matthew 24, 25 in the chapters following. Um, but Jesus spent a great deal of time talking about his return. The apostles talked about the return of Jesus Christ. Uh, Paul, in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, says, For the Lord himself will come down from heaven with a commanding shout, with the voice of the archangel, and with the trumpet call of God. First, the believers who have died will rise from their graves. Then, together with them, we who are still alive and remain on the earth will be caught up in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. Then we will be with the Lord forever. So encourage each other with these words. And then the unknown author of the book of Hebrews writes this. And just as each person is destined to die once 
and after that comes judgment, so also Christ was offered once for all time as a sacrifice to take away the sins of many people. He will come again, not to deal with our sins, but to bring salvation to all who are eagerly waiting for him. The, the, the scriptures, that mean Jesus, the apostles, the scriptures testify to the return of Jesus Christ. Now, I don't think that just the sheer number of times that things are mentioned in the number of teachings that are mentioned in the, in the New Testament mean that one teaching or one doctrine is more important than the other. But it is interesting to note the, the, the contrast by how many times the return of Christ is referenced in the New Testament. But for example, let's just talk baptism. You've seen baptisms today. You've heard great stories. Uh, we've celebrated those stories all weekend long. In the, in the 21 epistles, baptism is only mentioned in seven of them, and it's mentioned 19 times. In the, in the, uh, in the, in the New Testament, communion is mentioned four times at most in the Gospels, and one time in the rest of the epistles, the rest of the 25 books, all the 25 books of the New Testament. It's five times communion. Now, what we'd say is if we never saw baptisms and we never celebrated communion, you would probably be asking, why aren't we? Because we want to have fidelity to the Word of God. We want to live out the truths of Scripture. Now, get this. The return of Jesus Christ just in the New Testament is mentioned 307 times. And it's mentioned in 25 of the 27 books in the New Testament. The only books it's not re referred to is 3 John and Philemon. And if you just spread out all those verses evenly through the New Testament, that means one, with Matthew to Revelation, that means once every 13 verses, you would hear a verse talking about the return of Jesus Christ. Friends, we may be silent on the return of Christ for all our, the various reasons, but what you need to know is the return of Jesus Christ is not a peripheral message in the scriptures. It was not a peripheral message in the early church. The creeds always included the, ret the return of Jesus Christ. The scriptures are very loud on this subject, and we need to have a conversation. We need to hear from the Spirit of what he's saying to us in this day and age about the return of Christ. Now, if you do have your Bibles, go to Matthew chapter 24, um, and I'm going I'm to read some, uh, a bit of this, this, this text. Um, it's on page 1,558. If you didn't bring a Bible, one looks like this. It's in the pew rack in front of you. Um, I'll read to you if, you. if you can't find it, it's no sweat. But let me just pick it up here and just chapter 24, a little context for you. Jesus is leaving the temple grounds uh, the disciples are oohing and on over just the, the, the majestic appearance of the temple. And Jesus tells them the news that the temple is going to be demolished one day. And the disciples are stunned by that. And a little bit later, they're sitting on the Mount of Olives. And they're asking Jesus, when? When's this all going to happen? So I'm going to pick it up in verse 36 and read a little bit of Jesus' response as we begin this series. Verse 36, I already read this verse. It was up on the screen, but let me just pick it up there. Uh, it says, no one knows the day or hour when these things will happen, not even the angels in heaven or the Son himself. Only the Father knows. And then Jesus continues. When the Son of Man returns, it will be like it was in Noah's day. In those days before the flood, the people were enjoying banquets and parties and weddings right up to the time Noah entered his boat. 
People didn't realize what was going to happen until the flood came and swept them all away. That is the way it will be when the Son of Man comes. Jesus gives a little bit of a hint and says, uh, you know, we're not talking days, we're not talking hours. But you need to know it would be like it was in Noah's day. In, uh, in 2004, uh, I was uh, with my family. We were living in Hong Kong, and I was pastoring an international church there. And some friends of ours from the U.S. sent us money for a, a vacation, a Christmas vacation. And uh, it, was a, it was a great gift. And Trina and I uh, were talking about where to go. And I've always had, I grew up in Asia. I went, I went to boarding school in Malaysia. And, um, and so I've always had the dream of going to Phuket, Thailand. Great snorkeling, and the beaches are beautiful. And so we uh, made the decision, we're going to go to Phuket. Now, um, we didn't tell the kids we're going on vacation. We bought airline tickets. Um, Christmas morning, they're opening their gifts. And then uh, eventually there's this envelope, and it says, you know, you're going on vacation to Thailand. And um, the kids were thrilled to death, and they were excited. And, uh, you know, we packed our bags, and we went to the airport on Christmas night, 2004, and got on this plane, flew to Bangkok, Thailand, arrived there at midnight, got a taxi, and we had about a three-hour drive to this hostel that we were staying at. Now, the hostel was pretty basic, no TV, no internet, nothing like that, just one big open room, and we were sharing that as a family. Uh, we're driving down to uh, the city we're gonna stay at, and uh, everyone's asleep except me because the taxi driver's doing like 90 miles an hour and using any open space anywhere to get to where he's, we're gonna go. Uh, so I'm doing a lot of praying uh, on that trip. We get there, it's three in the morning on December 26, 2004. Some of you may know what happened on that day, uh, but we had no idea what was about to happen. Uh, a little bit later on December 26, 2004, there was a huge earthquake off the coast of Indonesia, and a tsunami swept through Asia. Um, and um, and it, it, we, were, we were there. Now, one part of the story I didn't tell you is that we were headed to Phuket, and Phuket is where, I mean, we got wiped out there. And um, Trina had a dream a couple months before we, we were going, and she had a dream of a tidal wave hitting uh, a beach and us losing one of our kids in this tidal wave. And so she told me that, um, that she didn't think we were supposed to go to Phuket. And I told her, that's been my lifelong dream. That's just, you know, you just had a dream. And we argued about that, and she won, and we ended up going someplace else. Uh, we were on this little peninsula, and, uh, you know, Phuket's over here, like a 30-mile-wide peninsula. We're on the other side, and the tsunami comes in on this side and wipes out, you know, all... Over, I mean, literally hundreds of thousands of people lost their lives. On December 26th, we're just going throughout our day. We have no idea what's happened. We're riding elephants. We're snorkeling. We're having a great time. We're there. It's like December 28th. We're on the beach, and someone says to us, man, isn't it just awful with the tsunami? What happened? And um, Trina and I looked at each other like, what, what, what are they talking about? And um, we went and bought some uh, time at a, on a computer at, internet, at an internet cafe, um, looked at the news and were horrified by what we saw, um, went to check my email, and there's an email from my mom to about everyone uh, that, that we know saying, it looks like Steve and Trina and the kids are gone. To which I respond, hi mom, having a great time in Thailand. <laughs> <laughs> Riding elephants, snorkeling, we're, we're good. <laughs> now, and here's why I'm telling you a story. Because hundreds of thousands of people put their head on their pillow that night, Christmas night, 2004. And they woke up December 26, 2004, and did not 
have a clue about what was about to happen. We didn't. We had no idea. And what Jesus is saying is like, that's how it was in Noah's day. And that's how it's going to be when I return. It's going to be like, it's going to be like the days of, of, of Noah. And, um, um, and if you just dig into it a little bit, here, here's what you're going to learn about the days of Noah. They, they were days of increasing decadence. It was people lost their moral center, their, their moral compass uh, just got all out of whack, and they started calling things that were right wrong, and they started calling things that were wrong right. In fact, you read that in, in Genesis chapter 6. You hear uh, some of God's heart and why the flood happened. It says, the Lord observed the extent of human wickedness on the earth, and he saw that everything they thought or imagined was consistently and totally evil. So the Lord was sorry he had ever made them and put them on the earth. It broke his heart. It was days of increasing decadence. People lost their moral center. What was right was now wrong. What was wrong was now right. And, and Noah, uh, 2 Peter chapter 2, verse 5, tells us that Noah was preaching to the people in his day. It says, God did not spare the ancient world except for Noah and the seven others in his family. Noah warned the world of God's righteous judgment. He's preaching, he's warning people about, about this judgment that's coming, but people in that day are preoccupied with their daily lives. Jesus says there'll be parties, there'll be banquets, there'll be, uh, you know, there'll be weddings. There's all the rhythms and routines of normal life will be taking place, right up, just like it was in Noah's day, right up to when the flood took place. The same thing will happen to the return of Jesus Christ. People preoccupied with daily life. And I'm not just talking about people outside the church. I'm also talking about us in the church, where we have become preoccupied, perhaps, with just the normal routines and the daily thoughts and actions of life. And so we don't think about the reality that Jesus is coming back. And so what happens is we don't comprehend. In Noah's day, the people did not comprehend the seriousness of the message. And I think we can easily say that just like, I mean, the, the stage is set, church. Just like in Noah's day, when people lost their moral compass and what was right was wrong and was wrong is right, that same thing is happening among us in, in our world today. And we are preoccupied. Uh, despite you know, preaching and, and warning and, and getting ready, we're preoccupied with the, the daily rhythms of life and the stuff that, that we want to do. And, and we underestimate the seriousness of what God is trying to say to us about his son's second coming. And Jesus is telling us that this is going to be a day of separation. Matthew 24. Pick up the story in verse 40. Two men will be working together in the field. One will be taken, the other left. Two women will be grinding flour at the mill. One will be taken, the other left. Verse 42. So you too must keep watch. For you don't know what day your Lord is coming. So in this series, um, we're just going to be talking about what, so what are the signs? What does Jesus say about the signs? I mean, we're not going to know the day or the hour, but what, what are the signs of his return? And how do we be a ready people? How do we prepare ourselves? And, and as 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 10 speaks of, there'll be a day when we'll see Jesus face to face how do I make that day a great day? How could that be just a great day for me? And I just want to tell you, I, I think it's my job as your pastor to make that day as great as possible for you, which is why I want to talk about this. 
And this is not to induce, induce fear. In fact, it's quite the opposite in, in the early church. The whole idea of the return of Christ was not about being afraid or about fear. What it was, it was about hope. And it was about encouragement. Because we are going home. And we'll be with him forever and ever. Many of you know that, and I even, I've already even mentioned that I, as a kid, went to boarding school um, uh, my parents are retired missionaries uh, from Hong Kong, and my brother and I went to boarding school. I was nine, he was 11, and um, we got in this, this, this cycle where we'd do four months in boarding school and two months at home, four months at boarding school and two months at home, and that would just be a, an ongoing pattern for me growing up. And I'll just tell you that I have really vivid memories etched in my mind's eye of, uh, of just how difficult of the, the goodbyes were. I want you to know that my boarding school experience was a positive experience. I look back and see the rich heritage of that. Um, but all the goodbyes, I don't know if you can say this in church, but I'm gonna, they, they sucked. Uh, I just, I, I just, I hate goodbyes. I, I, I've got pictures in my mind of being in a car with mom and dad and my brother and my sister and my mom is in the front seat crying. And we get to the airport and we're all gathered around and oh man, we're hugging each other and we're just sobbing our eyes out because we're, we're going to be apart you get to boarding school and you know, get a room assignment and I'm with these kids who've all been through the same experience. Uh, they're from Vietnam and India and Thailand and Irian Jaya. I mean, just all over Asia. And we're in our bedroom at night in the first couple, two, three, four days. We're all just crying ourselves to sleep. And then you start getting in the normal routine of school. And one of the normal routines of school was doing chores and cleaning up your room. And they had this little piece of paper that the dorm parents would, would tape to the wall above the sink. And every week you had certain chores you had to do. Um, and you, when you got done with the, that week, you just made an X. And that, that kind of became like a countdown calendar for me. You know how kids, when they're, they're looking forward to Christmas, they count down days until Christmas Day. Um, that, you know, that's what we were doing. My, my granddaughter, uh, Finn, uh, she counts how many sleeps are left until important days. Uh, she's going to Eagle Crest, and she you know, told me a couple days ago, uh, 15 more sleeps. And then she tossed in a little comment that she said, and also, Papa, when I'm five, I'm going to retire. So she's already counting down the days <laughs> to retirement. I don't, I don't know. Um, that, you know, that first week was just, we just cry ourselves to sleep. And then at the end of the week, we'd mark off week 18. And we just start counting down because we were going home. Get to week 17, and it seemed like forever before we'd go home. But we'd get done with that week and mark it out. And, you know, we'd get to week 15, and we'd mark that out. And get to week 10, and it started to feel like, this is coming soon. We're going to go home. And, and in the fall, we always had a Thanksgiving banquet and a Christmas banquet. And we got to the Thanksgiving banquet. It was like, man, we're going home like in four weeks. We're going home. 
Um, and, and then Christmas banquet would come. And it was, I was like, we got two weeks and we're going home. And then it was that last week of, of, of school. They'd give you all the students a card and you had to go around all your teachers and they'd have to sign it saying you turned in all your homework and you had to get the librarian to sign it saying you returned all your books and everything was done so you could, you could go home. And then you're in your last, this last week and there's this, this bulletin board uh, on the campus and they would just, they would, I'm, I'm, I'm seeing it, there's white pieces of paper and it had dates and it had flight numbers and it had vans that you were going to get in and what time you were supposed to be there and uh, because you were going home. And then the day came. It's the last night. It's been 18 weeks since you cried yourself to sleep and now you can't sleep because you're going home. And we get up the next morning and put your bags in the van and you ride out to the airport and you get on your plane and it was a three and a half hour flight for my brother and I. And uh, we'd, we'd land in Hong Kong and we'd get to the area where you get your baggage and you know, here's a nine, 10, 11 year old and his older brother getting bags and hopefully getting the right bags. And, and we get the bags and man, this, this is just, it's, it's right here. You get your bags. There's a class door that you walk up and it just separates. And you walk through the class door and you take a hard left and there's a ramp going down. And there's hundreds of Chinese people waiting for their loved ones. But in the middle of the crowd is a guy who's a foot taller than everyone else. <laughs> and it's my dad waving his arms and we're home. And our version of the wedding feast of the lamb is McDonald's. <laughs> and we'd go and we'd eat Big Macs. And mom and dad would skip church like a good missionary that first weekend. <laughs> and they'd take us to a hotel and we'd have a breakfast buffet and my brother and I would have a competition about how many slices of bacon we could eat. <laughs> my parents are here. We were home. Friends, we're going home. Let me tell you something about your home. No more tears. No more pain. No more sickness. No more cancer. No more funerals for your daughter-in-law. No burying your spouse. No miscarriages. No slander, no gossip. No racism. No war. No mental health disorders. No Facebook. Uh, uh, uh. You clap for that, but you're okay with cancer, huh? <laughs> I'm not trying to demean Facebook. We're going to be home. It's going to be good. It's going to be really, really good because he's really, really good. So in this series, 
It's simply rejoicing. It's not about fear-mongering or date-setting or any of that. It's about knowing we have a good dad in heaven, and he's sending a son. His son's been preparing a place for us. And we need to know what the signs for his return are. We need to know how to be a ready people. And I want to make sure that we are a church that when we see Jesus face to face, that's a great day for us. Let's bow our heads and close our eyes. And Would you just um, process what I've been saying today? And just you, Here's the way you can do it. You just, just ask this question, Jesus, what are you saying to me today? You ask Jesus that question and listen for a little bit. Jesus, we want to be ready, people. We can't wait to be home with you. And I prepare us and ready our hearts and just help us to have the courage to follow through with the things you've spoken to us as we've listened today. So we just agree, and the Spirit and the Bride say, Come, Lord Jesus. And we can't wait to see you. Thank you for joining us on the Salem Alliance Church Podcast. We are a community of believers located in downtown Salem, Oregon. And we are passionate about our city being a city at peace with God. If you have a request that we could pray for, please email us at prayers at salemalliance.org. If you'd like more information about this podcast or other resources, please visit us at salemalliance.org.